Well, every family has a different kind of Christmas um, celebration, a different kind of traditions in their home. One of the things that the Thornton family does or has done, especially with little kids, is the, the Christmas countdown calendar. Anybody know that? The Christmas countdown calendar. See some nods out there, especially when kids are young. And when our kids were really young, they were really into this deal. So start in the beginning of December and every day you get to put um, one of the uh, December 1 up there and you just count down all the way to December 25th and when my oldest William was about five years old he was my expressive one he's a teenager now so he's lost some of that but he was quite the thespian he would in, he would reenact stories or movies scenes he was quite expressive when he was a little boy and he informed me about three or four days before Christmas when he was five years old that he's like dad um, on Christmas Day, after I open my gifts, I'm going to do my Christmas, my special Christmas dance for you. And so, Christmas comes, and he opens his gifts, and sure enough, he does his little Christmas Tommy boy. He's running in place, white boy dance. He's excited about Christmas. You know, it was interesting, as, you know, these moments as a parent that you just capture and you remember, unfortunately for my 13-year-old son right now, um, but you remember these moments, and there was just such the anticipation in the month of December for him, the expectation was high, it changed his mindset, it changed his behavior, it changed his emotion and his passions, and once he got those gifts, he responded to the gifts that he got under the tree at Christmas. So my question for you this morning is, how does the real gift of Christmas, the indescribable, inexpressible gift of Jesus, which is what Paul says, that he's the indescribable gift, how does that hit you this year at Christmas? How do you respond? Turn with me to Luke chapter 2, and we'll be in verses 25 through 38, and we're going to see the response. We're going to see the response of two saints that are longing, that are anticipating the coming of Messiah. Two responses from Simeon and Anna. So Luke 2, I think it's page on the end of your row. There's some Bibles if you need one. It's page 857, I believe. But we're going to look at the expectant hope of Anna and Simeon, and we're going to see how they respond to Jesus, and it's quite instructive. It's instructive for us as well today, as we know about the story of Christmas, and we look at it from the other side, and yet we still wait. We, we wait on Jesus' return, and so there is much instruction here for us as we relate and respond to Jesus in this Christmas season. So Luke chapter 2. Luke, if you, look, if you read the first couple of chapters of Luke, there's this high anticipation of Jesus' coming. In chapter 1, you see a song from Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, and then you see the song of Mary of this expected hope of Messiah to come, which by the way, if we've been studying the book of Genesis, and so we've seen really from the beginning of time when Adam and Eve fall into sin that there's this expectant hope of Messiah to come from Genesis 3 to 12 to 49, all the way through the Old Testament in Luke chapter 1. You see great anticipation. You see it um, also from the shepherds at night. And then you come to chapter 2, and Jesus is born. Jesus is born, and then 40 days later, Mary and Joseph, in accordance to the law, take him to the temple. And it's the time of purification. If you know the Old Testament law, Mary had to go and be made clean at the temple and be presented and be declared clean. 
And they come to the temple, but Luke shifts the story a little bit away from the purification, and we come to verse 25. So let me read 25 through 32, and we'll just walk through this text, and I want to show you how God's people ought to respond to Jesus. Look at it, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation, or literally the comfort, of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. I love that phrase. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took, Simeon took him in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, Now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. See through your first point this morning, your first truth, and it comes out of the life of Simeon. Your first truth is this. Jesus is more than a cute Christmas story. He's your long-awaited Savior, as we just sang. He's your deliverer. This is what Simeon believed. This is how Simeon saw this baby Jesus who had come to the temple. That he doesn't just bring salvation, but he is salvation. Do you see it there in verse 30? He is salvation. So who's Simeon? This is the only place in the Bible where you see Simeon. So this is all we have about this man. And so look back at the text with me. Look at the way in which Luke describes this man, Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He was a follower of God. He was waiting. He was waiting for the comfort of Israel. He was waiting on Messiah, the Lord's Christ. And he was a man filled with the Spirit. If he's waiting on the Lord's Christ, he's paying attention to God's Word. He's paying attention to the Old Testament prophecies of Jesus' coming, the Messiah's coming. And so he's a man of the Word. And he realizes, he recognizes Jesus when he sees him. The Spirit did a work in his heart to recognize that this child would be the deliverer. In verse 30, that he is salvation. What salvation? Salvation is deliverance or rescue. And you might ask, well, why does anybody need deliverance? Why does anybody need rescue? And the Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That we are apart from God. That we are separated from God because of our sin. And the curse of sin and death is upon us. And so we all need spiritually to be delivered from a pandemic of sin. And this is what Jesus would bring. This is what the people believed Messiah would bring a savior, one who would rescue them from their sins. And so you see this anticipation of this in other places in the Old Testament when you come to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah is talking about the coming Messiah. In Isaiah 40 verse 1, he says, he will bring comfort, just as Simeon described him, the consolation of Israel. And then you turn to Isaiah a few pages later in chapter 49 verse 6, And you see, not only will he be a comfort, but he will also be a light. A light to the Gentiles, a light to the whole world, and glory to Israel. So as you read these phrases, this blessing where he blesses God, Simeon is thinking back from, or the Spirit is revealing back in the Old Testament who Messiah would actually be. So this gift, this gift of a long-awaited Savior is what Simeon responds to. Do you remember the gifts that you got last Christmas? 
Does anyone remember the gift that you got last Christmas? I don't remember many of the gifts that I got last Christmas. You know why? Because the the newness of it has worn off. Maybe it's broken. The thing that you got last year, kids, is is broken. Maybe you lost it. Maybe you moved on to the next Xbox game or the next best thing that's going to satisfy you this year. Sorry to ruin your Christmas and be thinking about how you don't remember what you, what you got for Christmas last year. But here's the thing. Jesus is the ultimate gift. And he's the ultimate gift because he meets your greatest need. The need that you always have in a Savior. He also meets your greatest desire. He satisfies your greatest desire. He's all satisfying. Unlike the gift you got last year clearly for Christmas. He brings peace. He brings significance. He brings light to your life. He is the ultimate gift. This is why Simeon responds in this way. So the question for you this morning is, how do you see Jesus? How do you see Jesus? Do you recognize him as Simeon did, as your savior, as your deliverer, your rescuer, the one who will save you from your sins that rest upon you, that only a savior can remove because of God's wrath that's upon you. This is what the scripture calls and says about where we are in relation to God. Or is it just a cute story about a baby born in a manger? How is this message of the gospel of Jesus shaping and changing your day to day? Do you see how this changed the way that Simeon acted, his activities, his behavior, his affections? Is there a longing for Jesus in your heart? Do you see Jesus as the one who you're counting on? This is clear in the text. He's longing for Messiah to save him from his sins. He's counting on Jesus. He meets our greatest needs and desires for significance. Simeon sees Jesus as this long-awaited Savior. But here's the thing. How do other people in that day, how are they going to respond to this Jesus? Look at the next few verses. Verse 33 through 35. Verse 33 through 35, and his father and his mother marveled, so Joseph and Mary marveled at what was said about him, so they're still learning more about their baby, boy, but look at verse 34, here's where this message turns a little eerie, and Simeon blessed them, remember before he blessed God for bringing him, now he's going to bless Mary and Joseph, and he said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed For the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. If you're Mary and you're listening in right now, you're hearing something. You're hearing that my son, my only son, Jesus, will be opposed. That there will be division because of him. And then it says, and a sword will pierce through his own soul. That's foreshadowing to the cross. When you see Mary at the cross... And the loss of her son, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This is what Jesus does. He reveals our thoughts and our hearts. So here's your thought. Jesus is more than a cute Christmas story. He's your long-awaited Savior, but here's the thing you've got to recognize. I have to recognize, you have to recognize, you see it all around you, that this gift of Jesus will always have mixed reception. Jesus will always have mixed reviews. This is what Simeon is saying and telling Mary and Joseph. He will be opposed. Jesus will divide because there's two ways to live. 
There's one way to live under the King of King and Lord of Lords. And the other way to live is outside of that. To say, no, I'm Lord and I'm King. And I don't need a deliverer and I don't need a Savior. I will live my own way. And this is the problem of the human heart. This is the problem that you have. This is the problem that I have. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 50 through 53, if you want to turn a couple pages back or look up here, Mary, when she's praising God because she finds out she's going to birth Jesus, she gives praise to God and look at verse 50 through 53. Here's what's going on. Here's why there's such division Speaking of God and his mercy, she says this, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, for he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, and he has brought down the mighty with their thrones. He has exalted those of humble estate. And so there's division about Jesus, and there always will be division about Jesus because there is the proud who will not bend their knee. Maybe that was you for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or 40 years of your life or 50 years. And maybe that's you right now to say, no, I don't need a deliverer. I don't need Jesus. I can do this myself. But he exalts the humble, the one who bow the knee to Jesus. Speaking of gifts, last Christmas, have you ever gotten someone a gift? You're excited about it, and it's actually something that they need. You know that they need this gift, but they reject the gift. They don't like the gift. They say, no thanks. Kids, this is pre-warning for a couple days from now. Don't do that. But seriously, have you ever ever been there where you, you give this gift and it's not received? Whether it's a Christmas gift or a meal that someone says, well, I'm gluten free, I don't want the bread. And they tell you that instead of just take it and give it to somebody else. That might be a story. How does that feel? When someone has rejected a gift that you've given them. It's hurtful. It's hard to handle. But the beauty of the gift of salvation that God brings through his son Jesus is that it's a little different. It's not really your gift. It's God's gift that he gives to all who receive him. And we extend that gift. We share that gift. But this is important for us, especially if you're here and you know Jesus. You need to know that there's going to be a mixed reception when you share the gospel, this great gift that God offers to people with others and they reject it. You, you need to know it's, they're not rejecting you. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, hey, if you think they, they hate you, they hated me first. And not only that, Jesus even puts it on the Father and says, the reason they hate me is because they hate the Father. And so know that, if they love you, you're in the world. And so know, Christian, if you're here, that this incredible gift, this indescribable gift that you have because of Jesus, people will reject it. But they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting the Lord. This is what the Bible has said From before Jesus and the Messiah even came, Isaiah 53 says he will be despised and rejected. John 15 says you'll be hated if you're about Jesus. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter says the living stone will be rejected by men because people don't want to bow a knee. And here's what happens though. 
Let's just talk about real life as a Christian and go on, man, this is the great message that I have. I want to give this gift away. But when I try to give it away and someone rejects it, it feels like that. It feels hurtful. It's like they're offending you. I just want to tell you that I, I know many believers, when you ask them about sharing the gospel with people and sharing the message, the good news of Christ, say, so, you know what, I'll be honest, I've stopped sharing that because I was, I've been rejected so many times. I just want to encourage you this morning to know that this is part of the deal. That they're really not rejecting you, they're rejecting the gospel, they're re- rejecting Jesus, they're rejecting the Father, and it's really our role to continue to share that we're ambassadors for Christ, whether rejected or accepted, and we live in this culture of a growing, growing hostility or rejection, not only of Jesus, but the Christian ethic or Christian morals to where our kids are going to be seen as immoral for believing true things in the Word of God that that the Word of God reveals not only about Jesus, but how we're called to live. And this is the world we live in, and really you have a couple of options in that world. If you look at Europe, you can kind of see years down the road right now looking at Europe because Europe's already been there. Do you know the Christians and the churches that are being successful and having a witness in Europe? They're not the Christians that are grumpy and sour and over here in their holy huddle and mad at the culture. They're the Christians that are saying, we have the life-giving message of the gospel. We're going to share it. We're going to talk about how that that ideology out there that you're pursuing and how it wrecks your life. Let me, let me tell you about a different ideology. Let me tell you about a Christian worldview. Let me tell you how God's world really works. Spurgeon said it this way, our crusty tempers and sour faces will never make much of an evangelist. See, there will always be acceptance and rejection of this gift of a savior. But there's a great example in this passage of how to do it right, of how to live in this kind of culture and respond to Jesus well. Keep looking here in verse 36 through 38 and it's Anna. What a great example she is for us to think about what it looks like to live in this world where we believe in the savior who's given this incredible gift and it's rejected, but look at Anna's response. Verse 36. Read it here. Verse 36 to 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years, from which she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak to him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. You see, here's your last thought. Even in the midst of rejection, God's people still respond to the Redeemer with worship and witness. We still respond to the Savior, the Redeemer, as Anna will say, with worship and witness. Who is this Anna? Look at it. It says she was a prophetess. So think Old Testament like Hannah or Miriam or Deborah. So she's a prophetess. 
She's the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. Apparently, so the tribe of Asher was in the northern part of Israel. And the women in Asher were so beautiful that they were only given to kings and priests in marriage. I think this is the only reason I got a beautiful wife. If she was, anyway, trying to work on that. Go ahead. It's okay. See, this is what a pastor does. Is you've got to use these opportunities. Anyway, sorry. So she was of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, so she's an older woman, having lived with her husband seven years. So she was a widow for a very long time. She was likely, it looks like, about 100 years old, and she had been a widow most of her life. And it says in verse 37 that she didn't depart from the temple. She just worshipped, and she fasted and prayed night and day. Listen, when you fast and pray, fasting is a sign of protest. There's something that's wrong. There's something that's wrong with me. There's something that's wrong out there. Fasting is usually a sign of protest. And what she's saying is, is that Messiah hasn't come. My hope is not here. I'm waiting on the hope of Israel like Simeon. She's fasting and praying night and day. And then it says she comes that very hour. You see that repeated before where Simeon comes in the exact time in which Mary and Joseph bring Jesus. Providence. We've been talking about the providence of God and how this happens. And I think what happens with Anna is she hears. So here's Simeon raising up the baby, and she has to be in earshot for her to hear who this child is. And so she hears Simeon speaking, likely, and giving praise to God that salvation has come, that this child is salvation, and she recognizes this child as the Messiah. And what does she do? What is her response? Her response is to give thanks to God to worship, and to speak of him to all who are waiting on the redemption of Israel. So she's giving witness, she's bearing witness to who this child is, to all that will listen. One more thing about gifts. Three for three. Three points, three illustrations. Some of you are gift givers. You love giving gifts to other people at Christmas. And sometimes it's like, look, I I just want to give you some gifts because you give everyone else gifts. You love giving gifts. And usually those people are also people who who feel loved by receiving gifts. They've received gifts, so they want to give gifts. Listen, if you've been affected by Jesus, if you've been delivered from your sins, and you know him, and you love him, and you've received the gift of forgiveness, and the gift of eternal life, and the, and the gift of abundant life here, knowing your Savior, what do you do? You want to celebrate the reception of that gift and give that gift away. That's a natural response for someone who's received what Anna's received and believes what Anna received. I don't think Anna had to go to the temple and take an evangelism class to feel comfortable sharing about Jesus because her sharing about Jesus comes out of the overflow of her heart. There's nothing wrong with an evangelism class, by the way, and learning methods in which you can share the gospel and be more confident. But it was an overflow of her life and of her need of Messiah and Savior that she shared. It was just natural that she would share. And this is what Second Corinthians 5 I think I've mentioned that passage more than any other in the last year and a half because I love that passage so much. Because it says that the love of Christ, the love of Christ compels us to be ministers of reconciliation, meaning the love of Christ in our hearts ought to overflow into what we say. 
and who we speak to. And this is what you see here with Anna. That a response to the Messiah, to the long-awaited Savior, was to worship him and was to share him for all to hear. What can you learn from Anna's response that we worship and we witness, see, see our need for Jesus causes worship and out of the overflow of our worship causes witness. It causes us to witness because of what Christ has done for us. And maybe you're here and you say, you know, I had that. I had that joy when I first believed. And David talks about the joy of your salvation when I first believed, but man, the cares of life and the frustrations of life, I don't, I don't know how to get back to that place. And it's not just some emotion. Emotion comes out of it, but it's not rooted in emotion. It's rooted in the knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is and what he's really done for you and doing for you right now in our vast need of Jesus. I wonder this Christmas too, I wonder this Christmas too if you could think this week about who you're gonna see in a couple of days for Christmas, maybe in your family, your friends, or your Christmas party. Are all the Christmas parties done? We like to party around here, this is great. But your Christmas party at work, the people you're gonna see over Christmas and New Year, in the beginning of the year, I wonder what it looks like for you prayerfully think about someone in your family that doesn't know Jesus, or maybe they've rejected Jesus, like this passage would say, to re-engage or to engage them with the life-giving message of the gospel. So how do we respond to the gift of Jesus at Christmas? We see our need like Simeon of a savior. We realize that there is going to be rejection, that people will reject the message that you have there's also great hope that we stay the course and we worship and we witness. You know, um, maybe you wanted to know what my son got for Christmas that he was dancing about. The three things that Christmas when he was five that I remember he got, it's been a few years. The first one was Star Wars Legos. What a racketing, what a racket, man. Star Wars Legos, they've worked out the marketing scheme on that deal. But you know where those Legos are? They're in a box at the back of his closet. And some of you are going, hey, I'll, I'll take them. I'm saving them for the grandkids, all right? They're expensive. But they're in a box. They're unused. He's moved on. You know what else he got at age five? A Nerf gun, because that's how we roll in the Thornton house. And the cylinder after, I don't know, six months, a cylinder on that thing is all shot. And I don't know where those blue and orange bullets are. They're probably in the couch somewhere. I have no idea. But it's useless. And when he was five, he got that first bike. Man, he's moved on from that. He's way past that rusty old little bike. Is Jesus, C3, is he the worn out story you hear and know this time of year? Or is he your savior? Is he the one you worship and bear witness about? The takeaway is this today. What gifts do you treasure? And what gifts do you share? Let's treasure the Savior, the one who is worthy of our worship, the one who is worthy of our lives, to give our lives for, the one who is worthy of our witness. There's one more thing about this text. It's a very odd text. If you're a first century Jew and you're reading this text 
and you begin to read that Mary and Joseph go to the temple, this text for the first century Jew reading it would come across as very odd and then striking. If you go back and read Leviticus 12, 1 through 8, I know you love reading Leviticus, right? It's your favorite book of the Bible. But it gives us the laws of how a person goes after they have a child, how a woman is made clean. And here's the thing. What a first century Jew would expect in this text would be more about Mary and less about the child. Because here's what happens. After 40 days, the mother, father, child come to the temple. In Old Testament Israel, under the law, they come to the temple. And you know what they bring? You can read it in the passage above. They, they, they bring a sacrifice, an offering for the priest to declare this woman clean because she's been unclean. She can't come to the temple. She can't have closeness to God. She can't have closeness to the people of God because she's unclean in the Old Testament law. But you don't see Luke going there. You know why you don't see Luke going there? Because Jesus, this child, this child is the one who will declare men and women right and clean and pure. And not only is he the final high priest who will do that, he is also the lamb. He is also the offering that is made for you and for me that we might have deliverance and rescue and salvation because of what Christ has done. That's the message. That's where this message points to the deliverer, Jesus, who would not only be the final high priest but he would also be the sacrifice. That's the gospel message that you and I need to hear, the truth that Christ, that we are sinful and we are in need of Savior and we need to come to the priest and make sacrifice because we're unclean. And that high priest not only declares us right, but he offers himself for us. So C3, what gifts do you treasure? What gifts do you share this Christmas? God bless you. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this word from Luke. Lord, we pray that you would do a work in our hearts that we can't do ourselves, that we can't produce in ourselves. Help us remember how much need we have for Jesus. Lord, I pray for one that might not know you, that they would see Jesus as the only one that can make them right with God the Father because of who he is and what he has done. Lord, I pray for our Christmases. Lord, I pray that um, as we gather together as families, as we teach our children the message of Christmas, you would remind us once again afresh what the coming of Jesus represents, that it represents our hope, our peace, our joy. And Lord, I pray that by faith we would believe and trust in Jesus. And for many of us here, it's the struggle. It's the struggle to, to, to remember. It's a struggle to afresh believe and trust in what Christ has done and who he is. Lord, I pray that you would do your work in our hearts. Give us a great Christmas. Help us often have the message of Christmas on our hearts. 
And give us opportunity this Christmas to share about the indescribable gift of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.